Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. When we picture a creative life, a lot of us imagine sunshine, painter's palettes, freedom, bright colors, music, and free expression. We forget or want to forget that creativity requires the kind of vulnerability that can leave us blocked by the right words from the wrong person at the wrong time. It can take less than we might think to be thrown completely off our creative course, and the results can be devastating. Darcy Wade is an expressive arts therapist who has lived that story. As you'll hear, one simple incident in high school destroyed her artistic identity, leaving her adrift through college. A chance interaction brought her back to herself and got her on the expressive arts path. If you've never heard of expressive arts, don't worry. She has you covered as we talk about her early life as an artist, how she was thrown from that path and how she got back on it, and how the pressure-free exploratory world of wilderness and expressive arts therapy can bring us back to ourselves. It's a deeply vulnerable conversation and just as beautiful. I think you'll get a lot out of my conversation with Darcy Wade. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So I, I, I've i looked at your website and I've seen your art, which is amazing. And yes, there will be a link in the show notes so you all can go see it too. <laughs> and I, I'm just wondering, you know, how, how did you start as an artist? Was it just, you know, stuff that we all drew as a kid and you just didn't stop? Or was there something particular that pushed you in that direction? Um, well, thank you. First of all, <laughs> I appreciate that so much. Um, my mom is also an artist. Um, and I, some of my earliest memories honestly are just drawing with her and she would just kind of, you know, draw outlines for me for, you know, faces and people and I'd fill them in. And I, I think I just always was really attracted to art, even before I understood the concept that my parents were artists. My mm-hmm. dad's an appreciator of art. And my mom's actually like a creator of art. Um, but I think art has always just run in my bones and my blood and I just adore it. And so just throughout school, um, it was always the class that I felt like I was quote unquote good at Mm -hmm. all the other classes I struggled with. So it was always kind of a safety zone for me. Um, but yeah, I just, I've always loved creating and expressing myself. Did your mom do anything to particularly encourage you or your dad? But your mom seems like the most likely one. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, they both were really into me having extracurricular activities. They both worked full time. So I was in after schools mm-hmm. um, throughout my most of my childhood. And um, they were really big on me being like in dance and um, sports were big. They wanted me to be active. Um, but if I had an interest in you know, music or whatnot, they were always just really supportive of that and always made best they could made it to where if I wanted to do some kind of hobby that was the creative, they would like help me out with that and take Mm -hmm. me to practices and whatnot. So they were very supportive as parents. And then with my mom, I think she just, that was just one of the main things we did together was we would draw all the time together. Well, that certainly would do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> so as you got older, did, how did, how did the experience of art change for you? Hmm. Um, I was thinking about this cause it's every chapter of my life has had a different, like art has been the con- consistent theme throughout my life, but mm-hmm. I've had a different relationship with art throughout a lot of the different chapters. And, um, like I think about in high school, I got really into trying to ab- like promote myself as an artist through my school. I was publicity chair for my school. And so I did a lot of like visuals and posters and things like that to like promote things around the school. And then people started noticing my art and I was in, um, AP art, like the highest art class and all that stuff. And I remember so clearly this was like one of those little T traumas for me, like the things that kind of stuck with me that really brought down my spirit a little bit. But I, in high school was really close to being voted, um, the superlative of like the most artistic mm-hmm. and I didn't get it. And oh. Mm-hmm. I did not get it. And I remember just like feeling so heartbroken from that and just really confused because I had worked so hard and I was starting to find my identity during like, you know, high school years. It's kind of confusing to know who you are. And um, that really sh- shot my artistic um, self identity, I guess. And then I remember going into high or into college directly afterwards, thinking in my head, oh, I want to pursue an art degree. And then like something like got blocked really quickly. And, mm -hmm. and I didn't really think about the connection between those two until recently Mm -hmm. uh, when I was just kind of going through my own journey because art was always really fun. And then I think subconsciously I was trying to figure out my career and then something about not being told that I was most artistic, like at that young of a impressionable age and then going into college and I always felt art was my identity. And then there was just something that got blocked. I started really not feeling like I was resonating in art classes. And I, I just, I stopped doing art for a couple of years. Wow. And when I was, yeah. And then that's when I had this whole identity crisis of like, what am I going to do with my life? And, um, and we'll probably get into this more, but I ended up turning a lot to like substance abuse. Oof. And, and so then there's this whole connection there. Now I, I then found, um, expressive arts therapy, arts therapy, which kind of got me out of it. So it went from, that was, the journey was basically art just being like a hobby, a fun pastime to then like it being my identity to then Mm -hmm. losing it to then it being kind of my own personal saving grace, which is now what I try to help others find. Yeah. Wow. So I want to back up before we get too far away from it, because I'm wondering, you know, when that happened in high school, did mm-hmm. you, did you ever talk to your mom or teachers or or friends or anybody about it? Or, um, I remember being really confused because a lot of people had come up to me and been like, Oh, I voted for you. I voted for you. And I went to a really big high school. And so just to even hear that, And I always considered myself kind of shy and kind of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, I knew a lot of people, but I would never have considered myself to be like one of the popular cool kids or anything. So just to feel that recognition and to have that moment of like, oh, I, I think I'm going to be like in the yearbook forever for this art thing. And then not getting it, it was more of a shock because so many people had like sort of made me think I was going to get it. Um, and then I remember afterwards, like crying to my mom about it, but Mm -hmm. not really making 
a big deal to anybody else because I felt silly. Um, but looking back, I mean, it was really recently I was going through old journals and I had found something I'd written about that. And I, I like felt it in my body. I was like, man, that really had an impact on me. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, and I think I didn't talk about it much then because I just felt kind of embarrassed and silly, but, um, yeah, it, it it definitely, I mean, when you're that young and you think, you know, your identity and then other people tell you it's not, it, it has an impact for sure. Yeah. And, and even though you obviously had friends that were validating that identity, it wasn't enough mm-hmm. to make up for the shock mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, you get that expectation and then yeah. wham, not there. Ouch. Wait, what happened? I thought I knew where I was. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, your, your mom probably tried to help a little, but it still wasn't enough to make up for it. Yeah. Well, in early, you know, I guess what I would have been. 18, 17, 18, but like just your teens. I, I think about that in terms of art all the time, how one person, someone tells someone they didn't draw well or have a good, you know, they didn't paint well. And then the whole rest of their life, they think they're not an artist. And (laughs) words can hold such power over us. Words hold an amazing amount of power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even just from one person, you know, Mm -hmm. it can be everyone else, you know, is saying you're great. And the wrong person says the wrong thing at the wrong time. And yeah, it'll, it'll leave a mark for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, mm-hmm. so when you got to college and you suddenly were, were blocked, did you talk to anybody, you know, were the, were the professors helpful or anything like that? Or was, was it still kind of the, there must be something wrong with me and I'm not going to say anything. Um, yeah, college was an interesting, early college was a really interesting experience for me as an artist. Um, I, it was during, I think it was either my freshman or my sophomore year of undergrad that I had my first experiences of not feeling good at art. Um, I remember it was specifically in a three, three dimensional foundations course. So, um, I'm a very two dimensional artist. I like to paint and draw. Um, but I had to be in a class where I had to bring in a three-dimensional element and we did like wood woodworking and building and sculpture and a lot of stuff that in, involved measuring and math and whatnot, which was not my strong suit. And I remember just really disconnecting with one of the teachers and I, I couldn't quite figure out, I wasn't used to not being good at art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that the whole not getting the superlative in high school had an impact on me that I wasn't feeling, but obviously probably I was carrying that with me. And then I'm going into college, which is such an overwhelming experience in general. And then I'm having art classes that didn't feel like they were complimenting me. And I just, I didn't really talk to anybody, but I remember trying to connect with this professor and him just kind of giving me that feeling of like, you're just not good at this. And I remember, yeah. And I remember in critiques and I was not used to that at all. And I remember in critiques because I relied a lot on color Mm -hmm. since I didn't know how to create these three-dimensional sculptures and installations. I just relied on a lot of color. And I remember it's not really me talking to someone, but it was a feedback I got that stuck with me, a criticism where someone had told me that my art looked like a rainbow was just throwing up everywhere. 
oh, because that's <laughs> subtle and helpful. So, I'm like, it's like these little moments that stuck with me. Um, but I think all of that combination really blocked me. And I, mm-hmm. and it was around that time that I decided to not pursue an actual art degree. And I kind of just was in floating, undecided major land mm-hmm. for a while. What did you end up graduating with? Hmm. Um, <laughs> well, it's, this is kind of when I was thinking about just your concept of following your curiosity, mm-hmm. um, like that to a T is how I ended up finding my career path because I, I ended up graduating with this degree, this very, very, very small degree that I think our graduating class of it only had maybe like 20 or 30 of us out of like a thousand person. Um, I went to Appalachian State, so it's a really big school. Um, but I found this program called Interdisciplinary Studies, mm. which through that, you could self-design your own major. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wound up self-designing a major called Creative Art as Therapy. I didn't really even uh-huh. know that expressive arts existed. Like I kind of knew, but not really. I sort of just, but I was to pull back a little bit, when I stopped taking art classes, I ended up getting really into like psychology and philosophy and just like exploring what else was out there. I was very distant to art because I felt so, um, I think just a little like discouraged and defeated by it. And then I started exploring these other things and was like, oh, wow, art as a tool to help people. Like, is this a thing? And then I just somehow found this major where I could design my own And so I ended up graduating with a self-designed major that led me now to having an actual graduate degree in expressive arts. Well, (laughs) it's a, it's been a journey. I will definitely say I followed a lot of, um, just not knowing what's going on and following curiosity and it ending somewhere. Yeah. That's fantastic. Cause you seem to have Mm -hmm. landed in exactly the right place. So can you tell us a little bit about what exactly expressive arts therapy is, or maybe just start with expressive arts and then add the therapy part? Cause I'm not sure people really know mm-hmm. what expressive arts are. Yeah. Um, I've been working on my elevator pitch for so long. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll start by saying that expressive arts, um, is similar, but it's not the same thing as art therapy. And a lot of people get those two really confused mm-hmm. and I don't, really know specifically art therapy as much because I didn't study it. Um, but I know that there's a different differentiation and with expressive arts, I think the biggest thing is the concept of expression that it, it includes all different modalities of creativity. Um, it is not just limited to painting or drawing, which I think is a little bit where people get confused or like, well, I don't know how to paint. I don't know how to draw. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, that's, that's perfect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because we're, we focus a lot more on just anything that helps you express yourself. Um, dancing's really big. Drumming's really big. Uh, poetry, of, of course, creative work such as drawing and painting are all elements, but we don't really focus too much on one specific artistic modality. It's a lot more about the layers of them all and and what you're intuitively feeling in the moment and what's allowing you to just express yourself. Um, and it, you don't have to have any background in art to enjoy or to get something out of an expressive arts 
class or workshop or whatnot. It's, it's a lot about being in the present moment, a lot about just freeing yourself and a lot about tapping into that creative flow. Um, our tagline, like our little, I call it just sort of the motto of expressive arts is trusting the process, not the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the other big part is it's very influenced by, um, ceremony and ritual and community. So it's a lot about witnessing each mm-hmm. other and being able to be in a safe space where you can create and express and others can witness. And it's kind of this dialogue that doesn't always necessarily need words. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a really, it's difficult to explain the power of it, but witnessing it and seeing the magic that happens, it's one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever been a part of. And now that I get to lead it and I studied it. It's, it's a really, really neat experience. Yeah. I, I've been a soul collage facilitator for, I don't know, eight or nine years. And it's funny because I, that's how I heard of expressive arts because it gets thrown into Mm -hmm. that category, but I don't think I've ever really understood why until you just described it. (laughs) Well, good. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it was like, oh, I'm giving this presentation at this expressive arts conference. I'm like, OK, mm-hmm. what, whatever. But but yeah, I never really heard a description of, of exactly what that meant. But there is mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, ritual, subtle ritual for the most part yeah. in doing a soul collage workshop. You know, we'll start with a meditation. We'll have music on. We definitely all look at everybody else's stuff and, and mm-hmm. you know, what we got out of those cards, which... I've talked about once or twice on the podcast before, but if somebody's listening and doesn't know, it's a collage process that's intended to get you into your own intuition and to get to know the parts of yourself better. And I'll put a link to it on the show notes for more than that because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it here. But it, it can be really, really profound and... You know, even somebody who normally only draws stick figures like me can create stuff that looks amazing. That's not the point, but it's a nice mm-hmm. bonus. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yes. Yeah. Um, when I love that you bring in the soul collage, because I actually learned of soul collage through Express Bard. So they definitely interrelate. Mm-hmm. And just the concept of soul is so important because this really, I, I think of it, and I think this is even in my description on my website of my philosophy of expressive arts, it feels like soul food. Like it Mm -hmm. just really helps you connect deeper with yourself, with your own instincts, your own intuition, and then kind of go into a deeper healing that you can then translate out into your community, into the bigger picture. Um, But it, you know, it starts within. And that all sounds very vague and abstract and a little bit like, what are these artsy hippies talking about? But it's, (laughs) it's, it's like you really, you, you, it's so getting out of the normal flow and getting into the creative flow, which Mm -hmm. is the root of a lot of healing. Yeah. And I feel like that that's part of the, the magic of doing a soul collage workshop is that you're creating that space and you do create a sense of sacred space, even though you don't define what sacred means because it's different mm, for everybody, yes. you know, but it's like, this is your three hours to come in and get away from the rest of the world and just mm. focus on you and focus on stuff that's pretty, that means something, even if you're not sure what it is when you put it on a card yeah. and, and see where it takes you. So yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it can be, it can be really, really powerful stuff. And I, and I'm wondering like what, what kinds of things have you 
seen to whatever extent you're able to talk about them without, mm-hmm. you know, violating anybody's privacy or anything as part yeah. of expressive arts. Absolutely. Um, I have really attracted to this subcategory that's still kind of being created. It's not a super well-known widespread um, subcategory, but nature-based expressive arts therapy is a subcategory of expressive arts that one of my dear mentors and professors, and now she's a good friend of mine, um, Dr. Malia Snyder, she and her mentor, um, Dr. Dr. Sally Atkins, um, who is also one of the founders and um, main individuals who helped start the expressive arts therapy department at Appalachian State, the two of them created the very first book ever on nature-based expressive arts. And so I kind of am, am trying to still keep this concept alive. Um, and it's a beautiful idea, but it's basically bringing in the natural world, our experiences out in nature with art. Mm-hmm. And um, I can send you a link to some more information about that if you want to post sure. if other people are, are hearing this and like, oh, I want to hear more about it because that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but <laughs> but through um, my experiences working with specifically nature-based expressive arts, I have led a number of workshops for adolescents who are at risk or um, a lot of them who have dealt with substance abuse, a lot of them who have just had really rough upbringings, who you know are in those really young, impressionable years and trying to figure mm-hmm. out themselves. And maybe they've experienced some really extreme trauma or they've gotten really into addiction or whatnot. Like all, there's so many different ways, but I've led these workshops And, um, basically with the workshops, it's a mixture of getting them outside, getting them to just connect with the natural world, but also exploring the creative process through it. And, you know, I can't really go into detail about what a lot of them said because that's confidentiality, but I've, I've seen people young, you know, girls and guys who have always put up this wall and who kind of know the system of therapy, who, we'll just say what they have to say to get out of it. But I've Mm -hmm. seen them just kind of soften and be like, whoa, um, like that just brought up some memories of this experience that I never have thought about. And cause, cause expressive arts is, is like I said, it's layering, like it's really going deep, but in a very gentle way. Mm -hmm. And because you're using so many things outside of just word, just talk therapy, like you're using nature, you're using, um, you know, the creative process, like whatever that means, people kind of like just become a little bit more open. They're not so focused on their words. So we can get so stuck in using our words and feel really limited with that. Um, or sometimes feel like really overly vulnerable having to like, say, like share a story that impacted you or really affected you. Like words can just be both really helpful and really limiting. Mm -hmm. So with this, um, it just offers a lot of tools for people to understand their story, their subconscious, their, their emotions, um, their reactivity. And some really, I've witnessed some big breakthroughs happening from it. I can believe that. Could, yeah. could you describe what a nature-based expressive arts therapy experience might look like? Cause I'm finding myself yeah. having a little trouble picturing yeah. what that would um, be. Which makes sense because it's not a very common, you don't really hear about this. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I love it. Cause there's a lot of magic in it. Um, So one that I really love to do is, you know, if you 
ideally you're outside or you're in reach of nature. You're usually not in a enclosed studio or mm-hmm. a classroom or anything, but, um, I, I work, this will help too. I interned in wilderness therapy. So I was outside a lot with my clients. Mm-hmm. And so usually you're out in nature and one, um, experience I really like to do with them is to have the individuals go on just like a mindful walk. And with that, that's literally just as it sounds like no talking. Um, usually you're just by yourself or like in a group, but not talking to anyone else. You're just having your own experience, mindfully walking. So paying attention to everything around you letting your senses open up, listening to the sounds, looking at everything that's in front of you, whether that's trees or grass or whatnot, just allowing your senses to really open up. Um, which a lot of times we don't do when we're always surrounded by all these distractions in our material world. So that in itself is just like a huge part of it, just intentionally being out in nature, moving in it, seeing what's around, just picking up on what's attracting to you. So from there, I'll usually ask um, my participants to just, when they're done with their walk, find one found natural object that really spoke to you. And so you can imagine there's a ton of options, but having to pick that one option is really having you hone in on what, what is calling out to you. Mm -hmm. And they'll usually bring the object back and then we'll all be in a circle. Usually there's, um, a variety of individuals. So it's usually not one-on-one, but it could be, but we'll have a big group and then everyone will go around in the circle and, kind of share, first of all, what they experience on their walk. And even though it sounds so simple, it's amazing some of the deep things that come up just to allowing people to have that space to just be with themselves and their own thoughts. So we'll have kind of a discussion about it. And then I'll ask them to kind of, you know, just simply share their object and what attracted them to that object. And from there, you can imagine just the different insights, like people will come back with these amazing metaphors or these, they'll be like, well, I found this stick, but it reminds me of just this thing that's happening. And you just, you just get to hear kind of what people, what's going on internally for people. But then there's this visual representation and it's not something they created. There's no pressure. It's something they found. Um, and then through that, we typically will, I've had in the past all different things. Like I'll have people, uh, create a movement piece based off their, you know, found objects. So if they have a stick or a flower, they found to create a movement piece to share so that it's kind of layering in these different modalities, or maybe I'll ask them to create a poem, or maybe I'll have them get into a group and then they kind of create a group movement or poem or some kind of expressive experience based off what they found and based off what they experienced. Sometimes we'll create group mandalas on everything. Like there's so many different directions. And honestly, a lot of the times I'll have an idea in my head, but depending on the energy I'm feeling from the group, depending on the feedback that's coming up, the insights, I'll just spin it into whatever way mm-hmm. makes sense. Like there's never like an exact, like this has to come next. It's just sort of playing with what's coming up for people and allowing them the space to be vulnerable and Really the biggest thing is in those settings when all they're focused on is just being with nature and being with their creative flow, people just tend to kind of let their guard down a little bit. They just tend to soften and open and be a little bit more intuitive. And so a lot, it's like the energy just doesn't get as blocked. It kind of unblocks them. Mm -hmm. So 
I don't want to give away too much specifics because then if anyone were to take a class, it kind of takes away, but you can probably understand the flow a little bit just from that. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm wondering too, since you're talking about a group setting, Mm-hmm. Like with soul collage, I mean, I can do that by myself or I can mm-hmm. do it in a group. And and I have to think that, you know, that must be true with a lot of the kinds of things that you have people do. But I'm wondering like what, because there must be a difference because of the dynamic there, you know, there must be pros and cons of both. Mm-hmm. About doing it with others or at, versus by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to the whole concept of witnessing that's a really big thing in expressive arts of this community aspect, this um, sharing something that's vulnerable. And usually like in our day-to-day lives, we're not really being asked to create movement based off like sticks, you know, just as one example, like it's all very abstract and it can feel really goofy or awkward or weird. Um, But that's kind of the fun of it. And that's kind of the, a really big part of it is allowing yourself to just open up and be vulnerable in a safe space with others. Like everyone knows if they're in an expressive arts group, you're all kind of in it together. This isn't Mm -hmm. like a, this is not a critique. This is not an art critique. This is not a, um, a presentation you're giving in front of your classmates. Like this is a moment of just holding space for each other and having your own experience held. Um, and for people who may not understand the or have never heard the phrase holding space, that's that's literally when you're just greeting another person, ex- another person and their experience and their story um, with compassion, non-judgment, openness, and just being there to literally witness their experience with nothing but open hearts and open arms. And that in itself is why it's so nice to do these kind of experiences in groups because that's a feeling we don't always get in a world where there's so much judgment and critique and um, just a lot of comparison, comparison and whatnot. So that's the benefit of the group stuff. But I will say that sometimes I'll do expressive arts on my own because I need that solitude and that's no better or worse. It's, it's still all soul medicine. Fair enough. And and as I'm mm. as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, when I've taught writing classes, especially the writing classes that I've developed for adults since I stopped teaching high school and middle school, I always feel like there is <sighs> I'm not sure exactly how to quantify it, actually, because I haven't really thought about it in in so long and I haven't really ever tried to put it into words, but but there is something I don't know. I don't have the right word, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, (laughs) There there is something about being able to, especially in some people's cases, undo the damage that someone else has been done by criticism. Yes. You know, when they say, I always love to write, but I had this teacher who made me hate it because she thought I couldn't write anything. She thought it was terrible. And I've always thought I was a terrible writer. So I want to try one more time. And that's why I'm here. And you just go, whoa. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now I know that I've got, you know, and some extra attention here and, and some extra responsibility, not that that's not something that I wouldn't consider anyway, because what you really need is something that undoes 
that yeah. because odds are really good. Your teacher was wrong. Your teacher was having a bad day. Your teacher yes. was miserable at home. Your teacher thought that the only way to write was this one particular way that they were taught and that nothing else was okay. All of which is crap. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we got to undo this damage. We got to build you yes. back up. And it, it sounds like there's a lot of that in what you do. Everything you're saying is so spot on. And, um, it, it, it's, I lose my words sometimes trying to explain it because it's almost beyond words. Cause it's mm-hmm. all feeling based. And, um, what I love about that is, yeah, it's, it's working on a deeper neurological level. It's, it's helping your nervous system be reminded that like you are supported, you are safe and that your creative power is a superpower and other people are not, I'm actually reading, um, the four agreements right now. The second agreement is don't take anything personally, Mm -hmm. um, because everyone's just doing the best they can with their own experiences. And when I think about the times that I've been in expressive arts groups, it's really beautiful because not only are you allowing yourself to just be your full self in front of other people, and just have that moment to finally just like, I'm just going to let it all be and just have fun. That's, that's beautiful in its own and a huge part. And then on the opposite side, being the observer, being the witnesser, you're kind of having to like go back to that time. Like when you didn't judge to just be open, to know that like whatever's happening for that person that you're witnessing, like this is their experience happening Mm -hmm. and you do not know the full story. They're sharing a glimpse of it, but you don't know what's coming up. If they start, doing something so abstract, like that's their experience. And to hold that space and and come at it with non-judgment. And, and it's, it's like, these are such simple and very, very um, common sense thoughts that we kind of forget about in day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the other thing too, is expressive arts is really big on play and just fun and it gets really deep, but balancing that with this concept of just like finding your childlike playfulness as well. Yeah. I mean, um, not that I'm the expressive arts expert, but just in my own experience from the things I've done, those are definitely important things. And I, yeah, I'm still kind of trying to, you know, my, the back of my mind is still trying to come up with the right words. And I, and I don't really have, <laughs> I, I don't have one. Cause I keep thinking, you know, it's an, it's an honor and a privilege to witness that kind of thing, but it's not mm-hmm. just that. I mean, it, there's, there's so much meaning in there. There's a bit of awe. There's, you know, a little sense of, of magic. And I think that, yeah. you know, uh, being in that environment and watching that with someone else, and I'm going to bet this is behind the witnessing thing. Um, <laughs> It really, it doesn't just work on that person. I think it works on you too. You yeah. know, the the not judging and the not criticizing works on you too, because, it, you know, we, we do all these things to ourselves. But also just watching someone else do that is kind of like mm-hmm. having this reminder that, yeah, I have permission to do that too. It's easy for me to say somebody to someone, you have permission to write, you have permission to call yourself an yes. artist, even if you're just pasting magazine images on a card. But you know, it's giving ourselves permission too. it's like everyone in the room gets this little bit of healing around the stuff that has been broken by schools and families and jobs and other things. Yes. And like, that's why I was so attracted to this podcast, because it's all about staying curious, like Mm -hmm. you coming in at it with no, 
like you're allowed to have your own opinions and your own, um, ideas. Like we, we've all formed our own morals and beliefs off of our experiences, but to come in and just have a moment of realizing that like, it's okay to just sort of go with the flow and to explore it. And even as a facilitator, um, a lot of times expressive arts facilitators, like I said, like we'll have a basic outline but we are kind of basing it off of what energy is being brought into the moment. So no two expressive arts experiences are the same. Um, like this is not a drawing class. This is not mm-hmm. a time to go in and learn literal techniques. Like you might become a better artist through it. Sure. But that's not the point. The point is to like really open up and tap into your own creative flow. And yeah, on the deeper level, the creative flow is, like that is what going back to my own story, like when I was able to retouch back into my creative flow, it helped me break the blocks and the barriers that were put up with me. Even though like I grew up as an artist, I still got blocked. Mm -hmm. I still lost myself because of other people's opinions. And it was when I was able to get back into my own creative flow and build that own resiliency in myself and have that own, that self-compassion that I, I got unblocked. And it's, it's a continuous thing. You're never just going to be fully unblocked or fully blocked. Right. Like it's, it's a flow. Um, right. And, and I was just thinking we needed to get back to that. Cause I was, I was wondering, <laughs> you know, so when, when you put this interdisciplinary degree together and then you went off to grad school, mm-hmm. how, I mean, were, were you doing art at that point, at, at either of those points, it sounds like you'd probably stopped while you were finishing the first degree, but I don't know if yeah. you kind of got back into the second or. So, um, and I kind of mentioned this very quickly in the beginning, but it is becoming a very big part of my own story. Um, I, I struggled with substance abuse for years. Um, and it started in college. Like I didn't, drink or, you know, do anything really in high school. I was a very, you know, I just, I, I was just not in that scene. Uh And then I went to college and, you know, looking back, I, I didn't connect to these dots until recently, but I think when I stopped doing my creativity, um, uh, when I stopped tapping into my creative flow and, and, and finding that within me, I was looking for another outlet, Mm -hmm. which became like drinking very heavily and a lot of other substance abuse. And, you know, I was in college, so I always was just like, oh, this is normal. Like, this is just the way of life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, how easily we can think that like something's normal when really on deeper level, it's like really hurting us. But I got really wrapped into sort of the party scene. And at that young, it was really fun. But I look back and I was like, I was not doing any art at all. Mm -hmm. And eventually, of course, I kind of crashed and I got into trouble legally. I almost got kicked out of school. Like all this stuff happened and thankfully it all got resolved. But I remember I finally took like throughout all the years of being in school and partying all the time and that being the normal when I finally kind of (laughs) got like my kind of kicked into reality of like, Hey, like this isn't okay. That's when I kind of realized like, Oh gosh, I need to reevaluate what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, this is actually the story that came up a lot when I was thinking about, you know, wanting to share my story about like following my own curiosity. I, you know, spring break, um, we would 
every year on spring break, I would go like with my friends and, you know, go party somewhere. And one year for spring break, I think this was like my junior year of college. Um, I decided I didn't want to do that. And I was going to sign up for an alternative spring break experience. I had really no idea what that even meant. (laughs) I just knew that it was a thing that happened over spring break that would keep me from partying. And I went by myself to the, the big sign up thing, whatever it's called, I guess the orientation. And, um, I knew nobody. I didn't know a single, there were, I think like 30 different alternative experiences you could sign up for. I knew none of them at all. I I didn't do any research. I just showed up, kind of had one of those sort of like, I'm being guided by something. I don't really know what it is. Like, um, I was probably really hungover. Like, you know, it was that time <laughs> in my life where like, I was kind of just this like black sheep in the middle of yeah. this group. And I was like, everyone in here just seems like so pristine and pure. And I felt no, not like that. And I just had this feeling. I was like, I needed to just sign up for one of these and just go for the first one that catches my eye. And I signed up for one, still not really knowing what it was, took a pamphlet and just kind of ran out of there. Cause I think at that point, my anxiety was like on overdrive. Mm-hmm. And I went home and I started researching what I had signed up for kind of in this, like what just happened to me. And I realized that I had volunteered to go for a week to a treatment center for young kids who had been severely abused, neglected, and abandoned. I don't even remember if I had read any of that before. Like this all happened so fast. Yeah. And I had no background at all in any kind. I think I'd maybe taken like a psychology class, maybe taking philosophy, but I think there must have been something on one of the pamphlets that caught my eye about art. Like there had to have been something because I don't Mm -hmm. know what attracted me to that one over all the other ones, but I... I signed up for that one and I went and I actually remember I almost missed the bus to go because I was so hungover from the night before. Like that was what, yeah, that was like where I was at in my life. Um, I was just a party girl who had lost my, my art soul Mm -hmm. and I ended up still going on this. And I just remember feeling like absolute crap in the car, driving down with all these strangers, didn't know where I was going. We were going to this tiny town in Georgia And halfway through, I'm like, what did I just sign up to do? But we get there and the first day we're there, I just like, after maybe I think halfway through the day and hearing some of the kids' stories and exploring just the reality that a lot of these kids were living in, that they grew up literally being abused or they were abandoned or just like all these intense things. And I didn't know how to speak to a lot of them. I didn't know what to say. I was kind of in this like culture shock for a bit. But I remember I started drawing with one of the kids. It just came up and it was like I instantly, we were speaking the same language. And I, yeah, I just had this moment of like, and then they realized that I was an artist. And then immediately it's like they softened up to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I had like, I remember having a a really big breakdown, Um, like having to kind of run away because I didn't want them to see me crying. But something came through me so intensely where I was like, oh my gosh, there are people out there really struggling. Like there are people out there who were given some really intense hands at this thing called life. And here I've been just partying and doing whatever. And like, there are kids who like are are really in bad situations. And I was like, I just want to keep doing art with them. And the rest of my time there, I just was like, I basically lived in the art room and just painted. And it was just this beautiful experience and made some great connections. 
to where I got asked to come back over the summer and be an intern art teacher for them. Wow. And yeah. And like, so that literally, like I went not knowing a single thing about any of this. And that was when I realized like, there's something to this art thing. There's something Mm -hmm. to creativity that is deeper than just me making pretty pictures. And yeah. yeah. And so from there, that's kind of, that was like the seed that got planted that I just surrendered and allowed myself to explore. Um, and you know, it wasn't a perfect thing. Like I still struggled with some of my own substance abuse for a while, but always what brought me out of it was tapping back into my art. And then now that's sort of what I do is, and, and now I'm, I'm sober. Like I'm, almost five months completely sober. I decided to just cut it all out of my life completely. And I, I spend pretty much majority of my time just helping other people tap into their creative power. Cause I know through my own experience that it heals and it saves and it gets you out of the dark. And yeah, it, it was an amazing experience. And it all just came from following this, this push that I didn't even know mm-hmm. was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that probably happens a lot more than any of us realize, because I think Mm -hmm. we, you know, we think that that's a weird woo-woo, frou-frou, hippie thing, and Mm -hmm. that it's not, that it's either not really happening the way we think it is, or that if we tell anybody about it, they'll think we're nuts. And so we don't don't talk about (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, But but Most of my experiences that have led me to this journey of like, expressive arts and creativity and really tapping into that when I speak them out loud, or at least when I did, I always felt like I sounded crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I kind of am like, I don't care if I sound crazy or this all sounds really woo woo or hippie. Like it, it saved my life. And I know it's saving other people's lives because I'm, I'm witnessing that. Like right. I have seen that in therapy. So. Yeah. It's, just, it's amazing, amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing story. I mean, it's beautiful story but but yeah I mean just that one one simple random or seemingly random thing can make such a huge difference yeah and it can feel really awkward and uncomfortable and um but like I always knew and like I've tapped and this is what I love about tapping into your creative power is you're tapping into your intuition. Like when you create, you're literally following your instincts. You're following your Mm -hmm. intuition. Like, sure. You can, you can like use references or, you know, base things off other inspirations. But for the most part, you're, that is one of the few things in our life that we are really given the control to just do whatever. And I think the more that we heighten our own intuitive abilities, then we're kind of able to listen to that little feeling or that little voice within that's like, this way or this way or this way that's kind of guiding you. And I knew that that little voice, that little feeling was what guided me to that experience in the first place. Um, it was thankfully screaming loud enough for me to hear it, even though I was so blocked, but <laughs> the, yeah, the more that I've like opened up to it, just those experiences keep happening. And it's really neat seeing it happening for other people who have lost their own. I mean, I, I now really relate, um, expressive arts and creative healing with people struggling with substance abuse, because that's the example of people losing control Mm -hmm. and allowing forces to take over them. And, and, you know, I've been there at the no judgment, I understand, but like your creative force is you gaining your control back. And that's just this beautiful, like parallel that I really stand behind and I value. That is, 
that is an idea that I have to admit I've never heard put into words before. So I've never really thought about it, that, that your creativity is is get, getting your control back. And yet, wow, because I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, it's like it's like and this is it feels like such a cliche and it so isn't the idea of like getting back to who you were when you were a kid. But when you were a little kid, nobody had told you yet that that stuff was bad or wrong or not good enough or whatever, or if they had started to, you didn't believe it yet. And Mm -hmm. though I have realized now that I have little nephews that they start believing it a whole lot sooner than you think. Um, and, And yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know, we assume that kids don't understand and kids don't really hear things and they don't take things in. Oh yes, they do. Um, they, they absolutely do. When you watch a six-year-old getting himself into a perfectionistic knot because the thing that he's drawing isn't as perfect as the thing that he's looking at. It, you know, I mean, I, I watched my nephew do that like a year and a half ago and I just was like, oh no, 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 don't do this yeah. to yourself. Please don't do this to yourself. And you know, how do you explain that to a six-year-old? Exactly. You know, I mean, that's it's so hard. But I thought, oh, boy, some somebody's already gotten into your head the idea that perfect exists. Yeah. And that you have to reach it. And oh, please don't, you yes. know, just just be your mm-hmm. awesome six year old self and, and do that. But but, you know, and I'm also as you were talking about intuition, I mean, I think intuition is so powerful. But to a lot of people, it also falls into that crazy woo woo hippie category. Yeah. And, it's, <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't have to be you know, like, you know, somebody getting hit by a lightning bolt. I mean, it's really just listening to yourself and the things that you know, and the direction that you really want to go in versus the direction that your family, your job, your teacher, your boss, your whoever thinks that you should go in. And and that's why it's so hard to hear it is that we have all of these competing forces that are telling us, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. You should do this other safe, stable thing because they think that art is not safe and stable, you know, or or whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever their objection is. And it does become really hard to hear it after a while. And I think a lot of us just have no clue how to even do that. Absolutely. And that all plays back into why I value the nature component. And you even brought this up for the soul collage. Like there's a lot of components of meditation and ritual. And, and I say this all being very aware that a lot of these derive from, you know, cultures and, um, you know, individuals of different races and backgrounds. And so like one thing with expressive arts is we really do try to pay respect to the origins and know that a lot of these come from different cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like, it's, it's, I know that my life has changed from just adding meditation, um, adding that little bit of space into my life. Cause it allows me to let go of all external influences, uh, and just go within and go deeper and be able to connect with a higher energy. And, um, I, I value that as being an artist too, because it's really, it's really hard to constantly always all be in our heads and to be like affected by so many things going on. It's, it's, we're having a hard time now discerning what's even true or false. Like Mm -hmm. our news, our news isn't even helping anymore. It's making it harder. And so you have to be able to tap in and follow your own instincts. And it all directly relates to these moments of stillness and presence and creativity and that's why I consider it all a superpower and being able to heighten that 
helps build your resiliency, helps gain control, which it's, it's a lot deeper than just this hippie woo stuff. Like that is your life. Like that's your, your own ability to make your own decisions and make your own actions and be your own, um, be your own guide. And that's really the big thing. Like when you were asking earlier, the difference between expressive arts and then adding in the therapy, um, a good therapist is someone who's helping their clients be able to gain control back over their life, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to make their own decisions, to be able to make their own choices, to be able to make safe decisions and choices by having the confidence and the self-love and self-compassion and the self-awareness to make healthy decisions for themselves and have that control. And so all this plays into, yeah, just we're all here to support each other. We're all here to support ourselves and creativity and nature are very, I think everyone has access to them, but we've somewhere in the line, we've all been told like, you're not creative or you're not good enough or like, you know, that you have to be in your, you have to be working 24 seven to be successful in life. Like you can't go out in the woods. Like that's not, that's a waste of time. It's like, there's a time for both. It's balance. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So I want to make sure that we actually talk about the art that you do now. And, mm, and I'm yes. curious to know how, you know, once you had that, that breakthrough that got you back into art, you said you, you basically lived in the art room, but were you also, did you start doing your own art on the side or did it take you a little while or how did that work for you? Um, so I started getting really into live painting when I like first kind of had that awakening in undergrad where I realized, okay, this, um, I've had like two, I'd say two big awakenings where I was kind of battling this good versus evil, where it was kind of like the, the art, the light, the, the health, the, all that stuff that you consider to be like the good, I'd say, I hate saying good or bad, but in this case, I'll just summarize it to good was just trying to get me to come back in. But I was so, um, I was a victim to, you know, a lot of dark energies and a lot of dark, like, I, you know, I was really trapped with substance and with low self-confidence, low self-confidence, low self-esteem, all that stuff. But when I decided like, okay, this is now affecting my life. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to like go down this path. I started live painting. Like it just kind of was something I discovered. I had a lot of friends who were musicians and I loved going to their shows, but I started realizing that if I was there without a purpose, that's when I would start drinking more. That's when mm-hmm. I would get into, you know, trouble with like other situations. And so I still wanted to be a part of the group. I still wanted to be out, but I wanted a purpose and I loved art, but I didn't really, I grew up way too extroverted to be a true artist. I always said that, like <laughs> I, I had a hard time staying in cause I became really social, but live art and being able to be in the group and paint while my friends were playing their music was this really great, happy middle ground. Um, and it allowed me, it was like kind of my first experience being expressive with my art because I was painting with other people watching and I had to really, you know, trust myself and not listen to other people's judgment and, and know that this was my experience I was having. And just because someone was watching and maybe I did something and, and you can kind of feel like if you, are an artist and you're painting and someone's watching, you can kind of tell if they're like, like, Oh, that, that looks good or bad. But I kind of just had to like, let that go and just go with it. And so that 
was when I first started getting back into my own art. And then, um, I was, um, you know, I, I graduated from grad school or from undergrad. And then I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, which is a very artistic, creative place, but I was bartending. And so I kind of was still battling this good versus evil of Mm -hmm. like being around a lot of substance, but also still being in a really creative town. And I kind of hit this other block where I didn't really know what I was doing. And, um, my, this is where my dad really came in and he was like, you know, you really, you hit on something with your undergrad, with this whole creative art thing. Like there was a program for expressive arts at app state again, but to get your master's. And my dad was like, why don't you just apply? Why don't you just see what happens? And I applied. And because I had this whole background of exploring creative art therapy on my own, the expressive arts department was like, okay, this, this girl, whoever she is really seems like she's on this path. Like I got accepted to grad school immediately and started working directly in the expressive arts department. And this is another thing where I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like (laughs) I, I, still felt kind of like this crazy party girl. Like I, I, the whole thing, like I had no idea what I was doing, but I just kept listening to any creative guidance that I got. And anytime it felt good, which usually related directly with like something with art or something with community, I just listened to it. So then I got into grad school and that's a whole other, that was a very long journey of myself, but that's when I started pairing my own art with, um, expressive arts. And I think I stopped doing my own art when I explored creative art or explored expressive arts. And that was you know, a little confusing. Anytime I wasn't doing my own creativity, I felt like an imposter. Mm-hmm. And, um, I finally decided that I was, um, I don't know. <laughs> my cat just came in here. Right. Um, <laughs> um, Basically, I decided that as much as I could, you know, learn about expressive arts and explore all this, if I wasn't creating myself, then I was not actually doing the deep work. And so I just have made it my own practice that I just am going to draw and create as much as I can. And it doesn't always have to be for show. It doesn't always have to be for this big profound thing. I just want to keep creating. And now it's gotten me a lot of great opportunities and, um, it's just, it's just a very, it, it, it creativity is my life basically. As well. It yeah. should be. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, it's interesting because as we've been talking, I've been, you know, remembering what your art looks like from your website. And it's <laughs> just, I, I feel like I can see the, the whole expressive arts influence in it as you've mm-hmm. been talking about it, especially the nature-based thing. I mean, there's, there's a lot of nature in what you paint. I love that you mm. have paintings that are, are the, the four alchemical elements and the ether one yes. is just amazing. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's kind of like when I first looked at them, I just sort of went, wow, you know, like, mm. like that's such a common reaction. And yet I didn't have a better word, but there is that kind of energy of them that, that just feels like it's, definitely been been infused by the other things that that you do and have experienced well and I think you know just to be transparent and, and really own my own story I struggled along with um you know abusing substance and getting sucked into addiction I struggled really bad with depression and anxiety for years and before I even understood what either of those were 
And as someone who always had a very big social group and um, always felt like I was this extroverted, fun person, deep down, I felt really lost as many people do. And I felt really alone and confused. And like, I'm a very sensitive, empathetic person. Before I understood all that, I just always felt really weak. I felt really just low and I really struggled with that. And so a lot of the art, kind of going back to like the specific imagery in my art, I kept finding myself wanting to create pictures that involved like natural elements. Like the elements got really big for me when I started feeling really, really depressed. And I could never figure out why. I found myself painting lotus flowers a lot. I found myself painting the phases of the moon a lot. I found myself painting butterflies a lot. Like, and these all sound very generic and very like, oh, well, they're simple. Everyone loves these. But I kept feeling like there's something to this. And um, I realized that all these are symbols of extreme transformation and Mm -hmm. extreme like balancing the different parts of ourselves. Like the elements have just always, I've known it to be true that the elements represent our emotions and how like you take fire, for example, um, fire can be both really, really, really healing and helpful and then very destructive. And, um, and I always consider fire to be sort of the element that relates to like passion and, Mm -hmm. you know, the fiery element, which when it's, when you're aligned with it and it's in balance, like that's motivation, that's love, that's joy. That's all that. Um, that's really what gets you up in the morning, but when it's out of balance or really extreme, that's anger, that's rage, that's all that. And with fire, like fire can both keep you warm and help you cook and help you survive. I mean, this obviously is very inspired by my experience in wilderness therapy, but the other side, fire can destroy a whole entire Mm -hmm. forest. Um, and I just, I use a lot of like natural elements that really symbolize to me respecting the dualities of light and dark of suffering and healing because we are humans and there is that flow it's neither it's not always perfect but it it doesn't always have to be really depressing and when i started really getting those thoughts out of my head and painting them that was when my own journey out of depression really helped or really got i really got out of depression through doing that that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it is like, you can probably even tell in my voice, like, it's hard to talk about this stuff. Like it's never easy. And even as someone who has been a therapist for other people and who has helped lead people, words are still hard. And that's where I really love being able to offer someone something besides words to share their story and to open up because it, you can communicate in all kind of, kind of ways. And, um, it's hard to talk about a lot of stuff for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I, I always feel whenever, whenever we land into the, the depression and creativity territory, I feel like I need to point out that we are not saying that painting will cure your depression all on its own. Um, you know, very, yeah. And it, and it always reminds me of my, one of my favorite Brene Brown quotes about how unused creativity metastasizes into ugly things. And, you know, (laughs) I've been thinking about this, that the whole time, because I feel like this, this story is such a great example of how true that is. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, and, and yes, thank you for the reminder. It's true. Like I was doing a lot of other things. Like I was seeing a therapist twice a week. Like I, um, 
you know, I, I've, I've explored my own experiences with medication. I've also had a lot of support systems and it's not, you don't just do art and become, get out of depression, or you don't just like start going to meditation classes. Like there's a combination of a lot of things. Um, and you really do need to seek out professional resources and seek out, um, things that work for you, but just knowing that options are out there is really nice. And I think a lot of times people do forget that their creativity can be one of those resources for healing because it creativity. I, I'm just of big faith and hope that everyone who's ever felt that their self-esteem got lowered because they tried to attempt creativity that doesn't always have to be the story you operate under. And I, I feel so terrible for anyone who ever was told they weren't like good enough because they couldn't draw well or something like that. That's, that's what we're trying to get. Like we're trying to reframe and, um, change that story. Yeah. It wasn't the, the creative effort itself that lowered your self-esteem. It was how other people reacted to it. If it feels good to you to do it, even if you never show it to anybody else, it's worth doing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's such a great metaphor for so many bigger things in life of just listening to what feels good for you in a safe context. Within reason. um, Within reason. (laughs) Yeah. And it was a great time to explore that with like creative outlets, like just get up and dance or just like sing and don't worry about how it looks or anything. Just like focus on how it feels. Um, yeah, that I've been na- dance yeah. like no one's watching. I've been tapping, I've been getting back into dance myself and I'm, I've never considered myself a dancer. Like I said, I've always been a very 2d artist, but getting into a different type of creative expression has been life changing for me. Like I love dancing and I think it's really good to do things that are a little out of your comfort zone because it's working different sides of your neurological system. It's helping your nervous system tap into other resources. So so there you go. Go do your thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like do I've been it. saying that a lot lately. Good. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we need I, to say it more. <laughs> I don't think it ever gets old. Go do your thing. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Dance like no exactly. one's watching or make sure no one's watching except maybe your cat. And if your cat gives you a funny look, give it one back. Um, I, I, usually, you know. I usually make my cat dance with me. <laughs> <laughs> I bet your cat loves that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's yes he's gotten really used he's like whatever mom like you're just over there dancing and doing your thing have fun (laughs) see that's that's the only kind of commentary you should get is the cat lifting its head and going "Uh uh-huh and then going about its business because it's like at the end of the day all this can sound really abstract but it's all just about enjoying life and having fun and feeling safe enough to win those deep scary things come up like you you have the container to talk about it or to express it i feel like we have to stop now because you've just said the perfect thing to end on (laughs) to encapsulate all of this so i'm i'm so glad that we talked today this has been such a, a deep amazing conversation thank you so much Yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate what you're doing and um, offering just a space for people to talk about this. So thank you. Ah, You're very welcome. That's it for this week. I'm so very grateful to Darcy Wade for sharing her story with us. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and especially to see her stunning art. If you were moved by this episode, please share it with a friend. Thanks. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. 
Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.